What's going on guys? Your boy Elroy here and welcome back. This is episode 9. I am Josh Prep Egina and I'm here with my good buddy Andre Rodriguez. What's up Andre? What's up Josh? What's up everyone? So Andre, this weekend we did have UFC 235. Let's get right into the review. So Starting with the main fights, let's we're gonna keep it to the noteworthy fights. Jeremy Stevens versus Zabit Magomed Sharipov, right? Yep. Perfect. <laughs> so I took a little note on this. Zabit's human. How'd you see that fight play out? Because I thought he looked really good, but I thought that finally in his UFC tenure he's looked human. Yeah, I think as he takes a huge step up in competition, there's going to be a lot of eyes on him. And people are going to see now that like this guy, you know, he has a chin, but he's not untouchable. At least not yet, you know, and there's still room for him to grow. He's not that old and he's got a long way to go. But um, in this fight, man, I saw it going exactly how it played out. He had to be tentative in there because Jeremy Stevens has legit one-punch knockout power. And even if he doesn't put your lights out with the first shot, like any shot he hits you with with that kind of power is going to hurt you really bad. I mean, we saw it in the fight with Duho Choi um, in the fight with Josh Emmett and, and many other fights. Like, guys, they will go in there and they will crack him. But if he weathers the storm, like, you can get hurt. But I think uh, I think Zabit just did a great job of keeping him at a safe distance and just outworking him. Yeah, he works really hard, and it shows. But I'm really I think that this was the perfect scenario for him. He didn't need to come out and have a huge performance. He just had to show that he could stick around with these elite guys. Jeremy Stevens like a gatekeeper now. Yeah, and and the thing is that for Zabit, he has to show the UFC that. When it comes to fights like title fights and when it comes to big money fights, like he's the guy. And, you know, it's not always going to be just as clean cut as just getting the finish on tough dudes because that's not always going to be easy. And when you go for the finish every fight, you leave room for mistakes and openings. And if you get caught, that's how you end up being like a Jeremy Stevens. Yeah, but... Zabit comes away with the victory. I thought, like I said, it was a good performance. Uh, hats off to Jeremy Stevens. You know, he, he called himself the hype train killer. He didn't kill this hype train, and that hype train keeps on rolling. You got it. <laughs> Let's get into Robbie Lawler versus Ben Askren. The One of the premier fights on this card, it was a big deal coming in. Ben Askren's debut. Robbie Lawler's return, you know, he's lost two in a row. He had that huge knee injury. Mm. Or, um, yeah, his, right, yeah, he tore his ACL. Yeah. So, I, this fight was insane. Yeah. First of all, you, you know Ben Askren? He went straight for the takedown. Yeah. And he got slammed on his head. <laughs> he took a couple shots. He survived. <laughs> ended up taking Robbie down and he had him in a bulldog choke and from what I saw Robbie goes limp clearly goes limp as soon as his hand hits the ground he wakes up 
and Herb stops the fight. What did you see? Because I thought that he was out. I was in the same boat as guys like Joe Rogan, you, Dominic Cruz, even John Anik. Everyone said it. He's out. He's out. And I screamed. I was like, oh my God, he's out. Ben Asker just put him to sleep. That was one of the scariest moments ever because we were like, damn, Ben Askren is that good. Not only did he beat him up like after weathering that storm, but he freaking choked him out. Like, Robbie Lawler's no joke in there. But damn, man. To see his hand go like that in the replay and then him go almost going back to defend, like, that was a tough call. And I can't take anything away from Herb Dean. No, because he, he is the gold standard. He's the best ref in the game. Yeah, I mean, ever since John McCarthy's departure, you know, the fight game has been been getting, like, a little weird. Because, and one of the biggest things that, that we're definitely going to talk about uh, a little later are knees on downed opponents. And Herb Dean has had some trouble with that. Uh, and these things have come about amongst other kind of issues. But, damn, like, that was just one of those situations where it was just... You you really couldn't even call it, you know, because you're just scared. Because Robbie is like, what the hell, man? Like, I wasn't out. But at the same time, like, everyone saw your arm just plop to the ground. So you know what I equated to? You've seen, we've all seen these videos on Facebook where somebody gets on the slingshot. That huge roller coaster that yeah. throws you up. And you see the person go out and come back and go out. And come back. I think that's what happened to him. I think he did go out, but as soon as his hand hit the ground, he woke up. Yeah, I mean, I believe it's possible. The only the only issue is that when you are being choked, like usually in a rear naked choke, guys don't wake up if they're still being choked. Um, and the reason is because the blood flow that is going to your brain is being cut off, and then also the oxygen is being cut off as well. And, you know, like, stuff like that is dangerous because you can go brain dead. And it's scary. But that just is a testament to show how tough Robbie is because the mere fact that he was up after that is crazy. Most guys wouldn't have been able to do that because Ben Askren is a strangling machine. Like, this dude has a grip on him, and it's scary. But, damn, like, I don't even know what to say at this point because is it safe for Ben to fight Robbie again? Probably not. Yeah, because, to be honest. Yeah, and that's as much as he says, "Oh, I like Robbie. I don't want to fight him again." No, I think that you know what's gonna happen the next time you guys fight. I don't even know. I and, and I think the craziest thing that that I took away from this fight was how the hell did Ben Askren survive? Because these weren't little pitter patter shots. He was getting mollywopped in there. That's a Philly term, but he was getting mollywopped. He was getting his face smashed. He opened up. Like, that's how hard Robbie was hitting him. And basically, Robbie was hitting him with the hype train over punches. The You know, the same way you freaking uh, Henry Corrales knocked out Aaron Pico. That was a hype train over punch. And, and he was getting smashed. That slam was even crazy. Ben Askren's tough, man. That was crazy. And 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 I and I'll be the first to say if he can take shots from Lawler, who I, can I don't, he take I don't, shots from? I don't really I don't really see how he's not going to be dominant. Yeah, who else? 
who else is going to give him shots like that and him not survive if he's going to take them? Yeah, because Robbie was really the only one. And who has the same takedown defense as as Robbie Lawler? Woodley. But he's never going to fight Woodley. Never. And, and you know, the, the thing is that, like, man, if you just look at the rankings, there's so many tough fights for him. And and I'm going to be honest, one of the best fights right now for Askren to really show if he's that good is Wonderboy. It's a weird fight for everybody because you have a pure wrestler versus a pure like karate-style kickboxer. But if Ben Askren can wrap this dude up, it'll be interesting. It's curtains. I don't I don't see why he hasn't called out Wonderboy. Maybe it's cuz Wonderboy's too nice. And he knows that Wonder Boy is not going to talk back to him. Definitely not. Yeah, I mean his thing now is boom roasted. Yeah, <laughs> but Steve, you know Wonder Boy's not going to do that. And and I think this is just one of those fights that's that's a pick 'em fight. You know because there have been a lot of guys who have had a lot of trouble taking Wonder Boy down, and it's because of the distance that he's able to cover. The fact that he can just get out of the way the last second and just disengage. That's a real skill, and if Ben Askren can't just run up and wrap him up, it's going to be a long night because, in the midst of him going in and trying to get a takedown, he's going to get sh- he's going to get caught with you know those straight punches that Wonder Boy is so good at. You know, we saw it when we we saw it when uh, he fought Johnny Hendricks. Johnny Hendricks is really strong, but his main issue was he could not get on the inside, and every time he did, he paid badly, and and you know. We have to really see if Ben Askren's game plan is smart to go in there against a tough guy like that because when you want to make it into the top five, basically Wonder Boy is it. Like, you have to beat Wonder Boy, and that's one of the toughest fights for anybody. We even saw when he fought George Masvidal, a dude who had just knocked out Donald Cerrone, and he had a tough time with him. You know, Wonder Boy freezes you, but enough of Wonder Boy because... You know, we still got a bunch of guys at welterweight fighting soon. Yeah, let's get back into the welterweight division. Andre, one question. Was that the most dominant victory by a challenger in title fight history? I'm going to say due to the magnitude of... The kind of fighter that Woodley is, and how much dominance he had behind him already, I'm gonna say yes. Reason being is the last time I saw a champion be dominated like that was Anthony Pettis versus Rafael dos Anjos. He got whooped for five rounds, but the only difference is Woodley has defended his title way more than Pettis did, and this has to be one of the most dominant you know, title fights that a challenger has dominated the champion that Usman's game plan was perfect. What do you say to the people who said that this fight was boring? Well, pardon my French, but you don't know about MMA if you think that fight was boring. Everything that Usman did was to literally negate all of the skills that Woodley brings inside of the octagon. He pushed him to the cage to negate Woodley's ability to throw power punches coming in. One of Woodley's main 
tactics is that he likes to be pushed back. Yeah, and he, then he knocks walk people back. out. He either goes for the overhand, he likes to go for leg kicks in the midst of that, or he likes to go for a blast double. What what Usman did was he kept front kicks and he kept the jab in Woodley's face. And every time Woodley thought about it, he was catching something. And then before he got a chance to really think about what he was going to do, his back was already up against the cage. Tactic number two. When Woodley is having his back on the cage, he does like to move laterally. But every time he did try to move laterally, Usman made sure that he had at least one underhook and one overhook. And he always made sure his head was lower than Woodley's. Reason being is because Woodley's a lot shorter than Usman. If he's a lot shorter, that means that he has an opportunity to get the underhooks first, push out, and then go back to the center of the cage. Usman completely negated that as well. And then what did he do? The biggest thing that he did was that he was patient. He waited to get the proper takedowns, and he waited for the openings to to open up. And he just dominated them. There was really nothing to be said about Woodley's performance because... At the end of the day, he just wasn't there mentally, and he didn't show up as the normal Woodley we saw. And just like his coaches said, he did not let his hands go. And I know it was because he was really worried about being taken down and then getting tired. Because yes, it's true, throwing a bunch of power punches for five rounds is not smart, especially because... When you're fighting a guy like Usman, he doesn't go away that easily and he hasn't lost in the UFC. You don't really know how good his chin is. So taking that risk is a lot more detrimental than it would be to just out-wrestle him. But he didn't even try to do that either. Because I think he went for two shots and they were weak. How did he not crumble from those 19 straight body shots? I don't know, because any other human being probably would have went down. I, I'm going to be honest. If I was fighting Usman and I would have took that, I would have went down. That's yeah. not easy on on a guy's body. Even if you have an insane amount of muscle mass, you know, you still have your kidneys there. You know, your lungs are still there. They're taking the rattling and the damage of that. But, hey, man, I'm just, at, at one point, I was just surprised that Woodley didn't get finished. Because at a certain point, you could just see the defeat on his face. And it was sad to watch. Because you had literally dominated almost everyone you fought other than Wonder Boy. And even in your title fights, you you, like, you fought one of the greatest jiu-jitsu players of all time and dominated him. You know, you fought Darren Till, you beat him at his own game and then choked him out. Come on, man. Like, to come into a title fight like that against such a stud like Usman... That that was not that wasn't good. Yeah, it was just a really bad night for him. Quick question: Is Wonder Boy's decision to take that fight with Anthony Pettis a mistake? Now that Usman is champion, that's a good question because that's no easy fight. It's not. I mean, there's going to be a clear speed advantage for Pettis, and there's going to be that kind of it fa- that if factor. Like, how is Pettis going to look at 170? Will he be less worried about, you know, how his cardio will be because he didn't have to starve himself and cut weight? Is the speed advantage going to be a huge factor? And the mere fact that they almost... It's not really a mirror match, but they, they show a lot of the same kind of 
tactical um, game plans in there. And it's simple. They just keep the distance. They look for openings. And all of their heaviest shots are usually kicks. So how is Wonder Boy going to do in this kind of fight with somebody who fights like that? Just like him. I think it... In, in the case of Usman, I don't think anybody saw that coming. So I don't think it's a mistake on that idea. But I think it will be a mistake if Wonder Boy goes in there believing that he's just going to steamroll Pettis. Because Pettis is still elite. And I can only imagine how he might look at welterweight without having to cut weight. And going there with a clear mindset. Because if you think about it. The only one that has something to lose in this fight is Wonder Boy. Because if he loses to Pettis, he loses credibility as a top 10 fighter, losing to a lightweight. And Anthony Pettis has nothing to lose and everything to gain. Yeah, it's smart for Anthony Pettis to ask for that fight. But let's get into the main event. We had John Jones versus Anthony Smith. One question I have is who can beat this man? Ah, light heavyweight. I see two guys who probably pose an issue. You have Dominic Reyes, and you have Johnny Walker. So you're going for the young guns. Yeah, I mean, that's it. And he did say he wants to fight four times. That's his last chance at at, a real legacy before he moves up to heavyweight. How did you feel about Anthony Smith's performance? Because, like, I thought that he looked tough as hell, but... Besides being showing toughness, he didn't do anything. He didn't. And uh, it was kind of the same thing as like Woodley. He just he wasn't there. And um, I think one thing that John Jones brought up um, during the, the pre-fight interviews and the press conferences was that if a man has to say, I'm not afraid of you or I'm not worried about you, it's pretty clear that you're speaking the opposite, you know. And um, the difference a lot of times in these kind of high-profile fights is extreme confidence. John Jones, aside from dominance, has always believed himself, believed in himself. Excuse me. And um, when you believe in yourself like of that, like like that, it's it gives you a distinct advantage over a lot of your opponents because you go in there with this kind of ability to just be in a flow state. Where you don't have to worry about what they're doing. You're just worrying about what you're doing. Um, And John Jones just went in there and did what John Jones does. He sets up his game plan perfectly. He studies you, but after a few rounds, he knows that he's going to dominate you. And Anthony Smith had his moments, but they just, it wasn't enough. And this is kind of like... The thing that keeps happening. Like even in the the second Daniel Cormier fight. You saw that Daniel Cormier was having success. And it was because he was angry. And he wanted to hurt John Jones. And he was doing well. But you know. Sometimes John Jones just outthinks you. And um, in this case. The game plan was to just wait it out. And to just damage Anthony Smith's legs. And just outwork him. You know as far as his wrestling game. And. I don't think Anthony Smith deserves a title shot after that because uh, he did not look good in that fight. Yeah, as much as people are pushing him saying, wow, Anthony Smith loses nothing after this, like the toughness did 
nothing for me. I'm like, okay, you're tough, but you didn't do anything. You didn't pose any threat to John Jones at all. I mean, you landed a couple of overhands and a couple of kicks. What else did you do? That was it. There was that one kick he got caught. John Jones caught his foot. And then after that, John Jones basically sailed the victory. John Jones could have finished him at any time. Yeah, and and look, I I do give him respect for, you know, that the fact that he didn't, you know, make it deja vu all over again for John Jones. But uh at the same time, I think John Jones, you know, kneeing, kneeing him in the head was wrong, but I think that was just a mere fact that it just at one point it looked like he didn't even want to be in there anymore. Like he just wanted Anthony Smith to quit and just finish him. But damn, man, like I don't know. John Jones sometimes he baffles me with the nonsense that he that he brings into the octagon. It's it's crazy. Yeah. So that was UFC 235. I asked you right after the card. I wanted you to give me three fights to make after that night. So, I also have three fights that I wanted to talk to you about. I want you to give one quick thought on each fight. Okay. Johnny Walker versus Glover Teixeira. Woo-hoo. First round knockout for Walker. Does that do anything for Johnny Walker? I think that it brings him closer, but I think that there is only one fight that is going to really bring serious title um, talks for him. And that's Gustafsson. Gustafsson. Yeah, he asked for that fight in Sweden. Yeah, and I think he's smart because he knows that he's on a roll. And to fight and win against Gustafsson would be pretty insane. Pedro Munoz versus Rafael Asuncao. I'm sorry, sir, but I don't like that fight. Why? I think that Asuncao has done everything he needed to do in his career, but... When he had opportunities to fight the best and beat them and get the title shot, he's just fallen short. Pedro Munoz needs to fight Marlon Marais. Um, or but that's not even a smart fight for Marlon Marais to take. Yeah, because you know Marais he has a good ground game, but Munoz is a, a high level black belt, and we've we've all seen now that he has serious knockout power, and on top of that, he has a serious chin. There's not a lot of guys who are willing to stand and bang with the likes of Cody Garbrandt because Cody Garbrandt has dynamite in both his hands. That was a statement of him showing, like, I'm the new guy, and I don't care who I have to take out. If it's not against Marlon, I would kind of like to see him against, you know, um, the funk master, Aljamain Sterling. I kind of want to see Cody Garbrandt versus Aljamain Sterling. That would be interesting, but in that fight, I honestly think Garbrandt will knock Aljamain out because one of the most underrated parts of Garbrandt's game is his takedown defense, and it's just his scrambling ability. Like, this dude can scramble, and it's because he's from Team Alpha Male. Like, those guys' scrambling ability is crazy. But, um, you know, I just think that right now Munoz... I think that he earned those kind of high-profile fights because if you can beat a former champion that easily, like, come on. Like, you know TJ Dillashaw was watching that fight. You know he was. How could you not? Because he went against the guy that you just beat, and then he steamrolled him better than you did. That's got that's something to be there's something to be said about that. So I would be watching out for Munoz. Yeah. 
my last fight, Zabit Magomed Sharapov versus Frankie Edgar. Well, I would say yes, but the reason why I would say no is because they are very close training partners. They train every day together, and if that fight were to happen, that would probably just be bad for that gym. Um, but this is the thing. If by some chance they were forced to fight, kind of like you know Rashad Evans and Cheryl Sonnen, it would be an incredible fight for both of them. Because Edgar obviously still wants that shot at the belt. But for Zabit, it will be good because he will be facing a guy who kind of beats the young guys all the time. It's kind of like, you know, Jeremy Stevens. He's the hype train killer. But in this case, a perfect example was Frankie Edgar versus Yair Rodriguez. Yair Rodriguez was on a tear. And he was looking like one of those scary guys that comes around every every 10 or 15 years. And Frankie just murdered him. Two rounds. So this is the kind of um, energy that that kind of fight brings. But um, if they were to fight, I actually think that Zabit would win because his ground game is leaps and bounds ahead of Frankie's. Respect to Frankie Edgar's wrestling game. He is a black belt in Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu. But you're talking about high-level jiu-jitsu, high-level um, sambo, excuse me, high-level sanshu. He's also has a really good wrestling game. There's too many um, variables in that fight for Frankie to actually go five, three to five rounds with him and not be dominated. So, so we already spoke about one of the fights you picked, Pedro Munoz versus Marlon Marais. What else do you have? Well, I also have. Uh, Kamara Usman versus Colby Covington. I mean, that's that's definitely going to happen. Dana already said it. Uh, Kobe wants to do it in July or June for International Fight Week. Yeah. I think that's a little too long. I would like to see that fight like pretty soon. Yeah, I, I agree. I think that that's one of those fights that probably has to happen probably by UFC 240. Um Obviously, this is one of those fights that is high profile, but not just because they're rivals. It's just because they have the same style. And I know when you're thinking about how this fight will play out, yeah, eventually it's going to go to the ground. But we really want to see who has the better striking game. That's the real hype about this fight. Like, is Colby a good striker? And if he is, can he actually outstrike Kamaru? My answer is no. I think Kamaru is going to probably destroy Colby on the feet and force him to go for the shot. And I think that is where Colby falls. I mean, Usman is too long and he's too big and he's very strong. And it is true. His striking has been getting a little bit better every fight. But his striking looked kind of solid against um, Woodley. You know, as far as a strategic game plan... He did well. The front kicks really worked. But, um, yeah, that's how I see that fight playing out. But uh, my last one, I believe we talked about this, but yeah. Yeah, but what was the first one? Uh, it was John Jones versus Johnny Walker. You're ridiculous. It's too early. <laughs> yeah. I'm scared for Johnny Walker to fight Alir Latifi, let alone fight John Jones. Holy crap. I don't know, man, because I'm going to be real with you. Alir Latifi is dangerous, but... That's why I'm saying, like, I think... 
if he runs into the wrong person who can evade the knockout and just grind him out, that's a problem. Yeah, I mean... Because we really don't know. Yeah, because we... Like, he has lost before, but his really... his Like, some of his losses were just knockouts. Like, he just... He's that guy. He's like, Garbrandt, kill or be killed. But the problem is that he is very big. And, like, the thing is, can Alir actually get to him? Because he's six foot six. And he has long... He's got an 82-inch reach. That's only two and a half inches off from John Jones. That's how big this man is. So, either way, no matter who he fights, like, it's going to be a bad issue for them. Because they're really going to have to weather the storm. And, you know, and guys like Alir Latifi... Alir Latifi, excuse me, they do have that ability because he is a good wrestler. But, damn, if he gets caught... That would be tough because, you know, Alir Latifi was caught by by a knee by Ryan Bader. He got knocked out. That was Ryan Bader's last fight in the UFC, I believe. But, you know, let's just see what happens because this kid is going fast. I just hope they don't push him like they did with Volkan Ozdemir. How do you feel about him? Because I don't know if it's his activity, but in popularity, I feel like he's leapfrogged Dominic Reyes. Hell Yeah. And Dominic Reyes is higher ranked than him right now. He is. And and the thing is that, like, Dominic has that, you know, he has that well-rounded game. But the thing is that he did really well against Ovin St. Prue. But, like, Ovin St. Prue is not the same kind of dangerous fighter that he used to be. And the thing is that, like, you want to see Dominic Reyes fight guys that are really going to put him... Like, in those situations, who are going to hurt him. And I think that this is probably one of those fights that will happen along the lines. Like, you know, way down there. And and even a title fight, you know, Dominic Reyes, maybe he gets a shot at John, loses, and then Johnny Walker probably beats Gustafson, and then they meet for a number one contendership fight. That's the kind of, that's the kind of place I see this going. But I'm going to be real, and I'm going to say it first here on Your Boy Elroy, um, episode 9. I think that when that, in the midst of all that happening, I don't think John Jones goes for a fourth title of defense. I think he moves up. I think there's going to be a fight there that's going to interest him too much, and I think he'll vacate. I don't think he'll keep the light heavyweight belt. I don't think there's any reason. And I think the, the new the new title, well, I'm sorry, the new champ will either be Dominic Reyes or definitely Johnny Walker. One of those guys is going to dominate cuz they're looking real scary. Yeah, I really I really liked how this came together. We're going to keep doing this after every big event because I think it's a necessity. Let's get into the news. Yeah. Something that came out, I believe Tuesday. Jose Aldo versus Alex, right? Yeah. Volkanovski. Yep. Got booked for Rio. So the the card that was supposed to be in Curitiba, Brazil, is now moved to Rio, which is UFC 237, I believe. Yes. So that's that fight just got added to that card. What do you think about that fight? Um, this was a fight that was like kind of looming around for a while. Um, it was either going to be Aldo or Edgar. Um, and the thing is that this this is going to be like an Aldo versus Chad Mendes all over again. 
But we just saw Volkanovski. <laughs> he freaking steamrolled Mendez. And he did it in such an amazing fashion. But um, Volkanovski, he poses a lot of problems for Aldo. Um, when Aldo fought Mendez 2.0, you could clearly see the incredible improvements that Chad Mendez made. Volkanovski is like a Mendez 4.0. And um, that's kind of the issue that Aldo's going to have because his punching power is there. He does not fatigue as much as we, you know, I thought he would because he is one of those stocky guys. But he has real skill. He's a grinder. Yeah. and He grinds you down and beats you up. Yeah, and he's willing to do it with either wrestling or just on the feet. He has solid boxing. There's a, there's a highlight video on YouTube with commentary of, his fights from his first fight to the Darren Elkins fight. Yeah. Oh my God, this guy is a problem. He gr- he really does. He grinds you down and beats you up. And Darren Elkins, you know, he he lasted the three rounds. Yeah. But he was putting a whooping on him. He was, and 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 the crazy thing was he was a relative unknown at that time, and, and that's that's like the continuous thing we keep talking about. This year, there's just been some guys who have just been coming out of nowhere and just been dominating, like, high-level opponents. But that just goes to show the evolution of MMA. Like, every guy that is coming into the game is well-rounded. Like, it's not a secret anymore. And um, Volkanovski is one of those guys, but the thing that makes him different is his punching power. Even if he doesn't put your lights out, like, this dude hits hard. And it takes an effect on you after a while. And, um... Aldo's going to have to weather that storm. And you know he's going to be in his face for three rounds. He's not going to give up because this kid, he's confident that he can be the champion. He's confident that he can beat Holloway. Um, I think that he'll pose a lot of problems for either Ortega or Holloway. But the thing is this. Aldo's been looking dangerous lately. Like, he's got that mojo back. He's got that swagger back. And if he can take out Volkanovski, like, it's going to be... Him and Ortega for the title. I know that for a fact. So, I'm just excited to see that fight. I'm just really happy that they announced it. Yeah, another fight that they announced mere hours before we hit record. BJ Penn versus Clay Guida also on that UFC 237 card in Rio. I don't have much to say about it. I only put it on the notes because I wanted to let Ron know. Ron, BJ has another fight with Clay Guida. Do you have anything to say about it? Uh, I almost threw up when I heard it, but other than that, that's pretty much it. <laughs> I don't want to see this fight, man. I don't want to see BJ Penn fight anymore. Yeah, at this point, I mean, like, can we just like sign a petition, a bunch of people, and just, <laughs> hey, terminate BJ Penn's contract? Nobody wants to see this. It's for his own health and, and wellness. Yeah, another older fighter, Vitor Belfort signs with one championship. Now, they had a huge press conference this week, right? Yeah. This past weekend, where they brought all the American fighters to Extreme Couture, as well as uh, Forrest Griffin Mm -hmm. and Misha Tate, who works in the office, both of them. Here's my issue, okay? One championship. If you're based in Singapore, if you're... The majority of your revenue comes from out there, and you're trying to make an impact in the United States. 
Why are you only showing your United States stars that you just signed? None of these guys have fought in your organization. You have champions. You have people like, even if we're talking about American guys, Brendan Vera fights there, right? Yeah. He's the heavyweight champ. You have for, um, fantasy warfare champion, Unlung Sung. Yeah. Dual weight champion. Why is he not at that press conference? Yeah, it's it's tough. He's on that card too, you know. And and you have other guys that are you know currently training in America, but fight over there. But I just think that they were doing this because they wanted to excite people and show them like, hey, like America, we have high profile fighters now. And now that they ink that TV deal, like they're trying to show them like, guys, we're gonna put on a big show. And um, there's been a a very good article that has been going around. And 1FC, and, and it's titled 1FC versus the UFC is another case of duopoly. And um, what that means is that you have two organizations from two different sides of the continent that are literally going at it with each other. Now, of course, there was a sign of respect to trade Askren for Demetrius. And obviously, the UFC was pretty much giving Eddie leeway to sign with them. But this is the thing, man, like... If I'm talking about five to ten years from now, I'm gonna be honest with you. I see one FC out trumping the UFC. The reason being is because you're seeing a lot of these high level fighters over at one FC, and based off of their skill sets, they would do really well in the UFC, and they are gonna dominate. But I hope, you know, for the next few cards that do get televised, you know, in America. I do hope that they push these other fighters as well. Because just because they're from Singapore or they're from Malaysia, they have names too. And these guys are legit. You know, like the organizations that they fought in previously from 1FC. These are tough organizations. So that's really all I have to say about that. Yeah, I'm going to need them to bring Unlung Sung over. I have to present him with his title belt. Oh, yeah. (laughs) Another news article that came out a few hours before we hit record. Rumble Johnson claims he's willing to come out of retirement to fight John Jones if John Jones goes to heavyweight. Now, that's crazy because, you know, Rumble does not want to come out of retirement and now all of a sudden, did he see something that we didn't see? Yeah. Because uh, this is the fight that we've always wanted to see. Yeah, this was kind of the fight where everybody was like, if anybody's going to be able to do it, it will probably be Rumble. Because he's never had a problem with big fighters who have, you know, a really good game with, like, distance control. Look at what he did to Gustafson. Like, he he freaking destroyed Gustafson. And the way he did it was simple. He just caught his kick and cracked him. And he could do the same thing to John Jones. Here's the issue, though. Rumble at heavyweight is not going to do well against John Jones at heavyweight. Because if Jones is smart, he comes in lighter comes in lighter he's faster rumble's been a serious bodybuilder now he's gonna come in upwards of from between 245 to 265 he's gonna be sluggish he's gonna be overweight he's not gonna be able to perform like anti-wrestler rumble so i don't think that fight's good for him but i know why he wants this fight and the reason being is because of course john jones has cleaned out the light heavyweight division if he goes up to heavyweight, 
there's a lot of news behind that, which means if he fights somebody of the caliber caliber of Rumble who has wanted heavyweight against a real heavyweight, there's big money in that. And I think that's Rumble's approach right now. Because obviously, why wouldn't you want to take a fight against number one pound for pound in the world? It'll be a great fight to see. But, you know, in this case, John Jones, I think, will win. Yeah, I just, I think that fight is past its expiration date. Like, I'm not looking forward to that as much as I wanted to see them fight back in the day. And we were robbed of it. Yeah. But I just don't, especially at heavyweight, like, I don't want to see a guy rumble Johnson at 265. Yeah. That's not... You know, he can't weigh the same as Francis Ngannou, and he's 5'2". Like... (laughs) Yeah. But there is one fight this weekend that I do want to talk about, and that's Junior Dos Santos versus Derek Lewis. I'm excited for this fight. Yeah. It's... For me, it's a one-fight card. I know there's some other notable names on that card. Tim Boats is back. Tim Means is back. And Ben Rothwell's back, who hasn't fought in a couple years. You know, those are names. But this is the fight that interests me. Junior Dos Santos versus Derek Lewis. I haven't seen Junior Dos Santos in a while. Derek Lewis is coming off a loss. You know, in a title fight, but a loss. A boost in popularity. How does he take this fight? Because Junior Dos Santos is still dangerous. Yeah, very dangerous. I mean, everybody thought that Tai Tuivisa was going to roll through Junior Dos Santos, which was, you know, Dos Santos' last fight. But the thing was that, like, he just showed a level of maturity that he needed to in that in that fight. And, you know, he fought Steve A twice, and he's really still trying to, like, gun for a title shot, especially now that he's fighting somebody like Daniel Cormier, if Cormier is still there as the heavyweight champ. But, you know, the thing is that, like, he is fighting a really dangerous fighter in Lewis. And, um, you know, whether people like it or not, or like his style or not, at any point in the, whether it's the first or fifth, he's going to put your lights out if you give him the right shot. And it's kind of a scary thing for Dos Santos, because we've never really seen Dos Santos be out cold. But he was knocked out by Alistair Overeem. So... You know, like, this is one of those fights that's just situational. Um, I don't even think a game plan is in order for either of them. Because in this case, it's like, the way it's going to play out is Dos Santos is going to outbox him probably for the first four rounds. If he doesn't get knocked out. And the fifth round, Derek Lewis is going to go in there and try to take his head off. And he needs to be wary of that. So in this case, I think Dos Santos really needs to implement his wrestling game as well. To weather the storm. Because if not, he's going to get cracked with something. And there's a serious chance he might not get up. So I'm excited for this fight just because it's one of those fights. It's going to have me at the edge of my seat. Yeah, I'm just going to say that I want Derek Lewis to win. Yeah. For the simple fact that I want to see another post-fight interview. <laughs> I, I need another sound bite from you, Black Beast. Definitely, man. This guy always brings the heat for these post-fight <laughs> interviews. And he's always bringing the heat in the cage, man. You just never know with him. So that's why he's one of the most popular UFC fighters to date. Yeah, so Andre, let's get into my favorite segment, your favorite segment, everybody's favorite segment, Fantasy Warfare. This week's Fantasy Warfare is brought to you by my good buddy, Ron Pashery Jr.'s podcast, Ronnie vs. the World. I was a guest on Ronnie vs. the World this week 
on episode two of Fireside Chat. So please check that out. Thanks, Ron, for sponsoring this week's Fantasy Warfare. This week's Fantasy Warfare is who? It is going to be one of the biggest fights that never happened in MMA. Kane Velasquez versus Fedor Emelianenko. Wow, Fedor versus Kane. So, Fedor, one of the greatest heavyweights of all time, 38, 6, and 1. He is a world champion in combat sambo, as well as a black belt in judo. What can you tell me about Kane? So, Kane Velasquez. One of the most dominant UFC heavyweight champions in the history of this sport. So, but starting from the beginning, this man was an Arizona high school wrestling champion. And he also wrestled at Arizona State University. He was one of the best guys to ever do it there. And he, he also had teammates there. That were the likes of Ryan Bader and C.B. Dalloway. This man holds notable victories over a bunch of names. We have Travis Brown. Not that notable. Not that notable. (laughs) Ron Pashery has won more fights than Travis Brown. (laughs) We have more notable names like Junior Dos Santos, Antonio Bigfoot Silva, I mean, you have Brock Lesnar, Big Nog, Minotaur Noguera. The list goes on and on. This guy's <laughs> the real deal. He currently holds the record ninth best takedown accuracy in UFC history. This dude has an insane record of some of the most significant strikes landed. I mean, this guy is just a monster. So, Andre, in their prime, both of them. As we know, this is fantasy warfare. Yes. Both of them in their prime. How does this fight go and who wins? Jeez, man. If we're talking about the last emperor, who I think almost went 30-0 and at one point, I mean, damn, man, versus Kane. It's hard to say. This is one of those fights that is just, it's not even a pick em. Because this is like who comes out, who wants it more, and who really has the perfect game plan? Um, if you look at Kane's dominant wrestling, and then you look at Fedor's dominant judo and sambo, I mean, it's it's almost like it's almost like a complete negation. Their grappling, both of them at that time, was just that good. But I think that it will come down to the striking, and in this case. In their prime, I think Kane ekes out a decision. Because when you look at his striking compared to Fedor's striking back then, he's much more versatile. He can kick, he can punch, he has elbows, he throws knees, and he uses that to get on the inside in the clinch. And I'm just looking off of the, the inexperience that Fedor had at that time fighting in a cage. And I think Kane will use that to his advantage. So I think Kane pulls out the victory after five rounds. Wow. So this week in Fantasy Warfare, Kane Velasquez over the last Emperor Fedor Milianenko in an upset. Yeah. Who's the greatest of all time now? <laughs> Woo. 
Next week's Fantasy Warfare is my pick, Andre. This is Fantasy Warfare. Oh, yeah. So let's create an open weight division. My fighter for next week is considered right now probably the greatest champion in UFC history, Demetrius Mighty Mouse Johnson. Ooh. You could pick anybody. Who do you want to see Demetrius Johnson fight? Okay. In an open weight fight, I'm going to say I would like to see him fight Jose Aldo. Wow. So next week, Demetrius Mighty Mouse Johnson versus Jose Aldo for the Fantasy Warfare Championship, I guess we're going to call it nowadays. <laughs> we got to get some of these made and sent them out. Oh, yeah. <laughs> let's get into listener questions, Andre. Yes, let's do it. So this week, the first listener question comes from... Oh, yeah, brother. This is Chris from Suplex Philly, and you're listening to your boy Elroy. Oh, yeah. Wow, Chris, I'm going to really need you to calm down. The first question <laughs> comes from Chris from Suplex. He asks, is John Jones the dirtiest fighter of all time? And did Anthony Smith make a bad decision? Andre, you mind if I take this first? Absolutely. I'm going to answer the latter half first. Anthony... Smith did not make a bad decision. I think that it was extremely honorable because he wasn't hurt. So the fact that he did that, I actually think that was a good decision and he looks better for it. As far as John Jones being the dirtiest fighter of all time, no. John Jones is not the dirtiest fighter of all time. The dirtiest fighter of all time, Husamar Poharis. Yeah. The dirtiest fighter. What do you think, Andre? Yeah, I, I can't help but to agree with you, man. I mean, Rusamal Parharis is disgusting. And this dude is just really bad for the sport of MMA altogether. And even jiu-jitsu. I mean, it's one thing. Kick a guy in the nuts. You poke him in the eyes. But you're ending guys' careers. So you're a piece of crap. Um, but yeah. And, and as far as Anthony Smith, it was the right decision. Because as far as his ceiling with the fans, it definitely raised him. It raised up. I mean, he didn't really pose a huge threat to John Jones, but he earned a lot of respect for that decision. So hats off to him in that, you know, respect. So our next listener question is from Ron Pasheri, a.k.a. Pash. Um, so his question was, Tony Ferguson is a great fighter, a threat to anyone in his division. Now, Colby Covington, to me, is just fine. With all these corny fake heels in UFC, in the UFC thinking that it's going to get them paid, couldn't the UFC use a top baby face? And if so, who could fill that role for the long term? Now, I'm going to take the lead on this question. So, right now, I think that a top baby face would be good. But I feel like we have that with John Jones. <laughs> Get out of my face. Yo, the door is right over there. Get out. I just had to throw that one in there. But with that being said, I feel like we have those baby faces in, you know, the likes of Rose Namajunas, the likes of Valentina Shevchenko, 
Robert Whitaker, even, you know, the greatest dad bod of all time, Daniel Cormier. But what I think we need is another Anderson Silva. We need a guy who has that kind of vibrato and that walk about him, that he's just, he knows he's the best. And I think that Israel Adesanya is that guy now. He was the heir to the throne, and he's got the crown now. Yeah, for me, the baby faces in the UFC right now, I mean, everybody's entitled to their opinion. I don't think Israel Adesanya is a babyface. I think he's kind of a jerk, but he's just so good that it's okay. It's what we need now. <laughs> I think as far as some of the babyfaces, if you look on just the championship side, I mean, how could you say babyface without saying Max Holloway? Yeah, true. You know, I think nobody plays the babyface role more than Amanda Nunes. This girl, as soon as she wins, she's hugging up on Dana, telling him, like, I'm so happy. I did it. I did it. Like, she's such a baby face. Yeah. No, I, I definitely agree. I mean, you have those champs. I just listed some guys like uh, and some ladies that I just thought were completely humble and um, really just know how to win and lose well. So, yeah. Yeah, but those two questions. Thank you, Chris from Suplex and Ron Pashery Jr., you guys are the mans. That was awkward. <laughs> you guys are great. <laughs> We've obviously been here too long. <laughs> this is the end. I am Josh Prep Egina. You can find me at Elroy Prepson. One word across all forms of social media. If you have a question, you can email me. Elroy Prepson. One word. At gmail.com. Andre. You can find me, everybody, at instagram under flow state dre and you can also find me as my regular name andre rodriguez on facebook now everyone i did put up a post today on facebook and instagram everybody please if you have any listener questions mma kickboxing boxing or jujitsu anything related of that nature please dm me on instagram or messenger or please hit up our host as well the same way. We want to hear what you guys have to say and the questions that you have about any upcoming events. Even outside of the UFC, we're willing to answer these questions because we ourselves want to grow as you know, podcast mates. And, and we want to make sure we're bringing you the best content possible every week. So thank you guys again for supporting us. And please leave some five-star ratings and reviews. Thank you very much. Andre, with that, I must bid you adieu, goodbye, and good night, bang!